Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Glad you're here for another episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Before I introduce you to Elisa, I just want to say real quick, if you didn't hear already, you can now watch the podcast on YouTube. So if that's interesting to you, if you'd like to kind of see what this looks like uh, behind the scenes or behind the audio, then hop on over to YouTube and check us out there. Okay, well, without further ado, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Elisa Minkin. She is the mom of a 28-year-old daughter who's on the spectrum and five other adult kids. So you've been real busy the last couple decades. <laughs> She's a general pediatrician working in beach pediatrics in Oceanside. She also has a preventative health podcast through the organization Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. Thanks for coming on, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm excited about this because you are a mom, of course, but you also have this pediatrician perspective. And I'm sure at times those things work together. Maybe at times they feel like they're in conflict. Or as you said, being a mom and having these experiences have helped you become a better pediatrician. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and just kind of get a lens into your perspective on that, both personally and professionally. But why don't you kick us off by telling us about your daughter, who I just mentioned. She has autism plus, which I actually hadn't heard of that term before, but so much on this podcast is new to me. That's why I love it. I get to learn. So tell us a little bit more about her. Sure. So my daughter's 28. She's a very private person, so I'm not going to use her name. <laughs> I, I consider myself a hybrid because I was working until I had her. I finished my pediatric training when I was pregnant with her. And we've had problems from the beginning with her. She didn't eat until she was four years old. And I had, as a pediatrician, I've never actually seen anything like that. She didn't mm -hmm. speak until she was close to three. She had very low muscle tone. And we went on a medical odyssey for a very, very long time. We thought she had a whole bunch of disorders and I became the support group queen because every time we thought she had something, I would join a new support group. We've had a long journey getting her the proper education. It's been tremendously difficult. Um, it wasn't until she was around 11 that we got an autism diagnosis. So that's what I meant by autism plus. And it's not uncommon for autism to coexist with other conditions, whether they're medical, whether they're other learning disabilities or psychiatric disorders. And she's got a bunch. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine the road that you've been on and you actually self describe as an expert in dealing with uncertainty at this point. So I'd love to have you speak to a minute to the parents who don't yet feel like experts of uncertainty. They might have just received a diagnosis for their child, or maybe they haven't gotten a diagnosis and they just don't feel like things are quite right, but they're overwhelmed with this sense of uncertainty. What would you say to them? So I think that even though we actually now have a specific genetic pinpoint to why she has all these issues, we actually just got it very, very recently and 28 years old, but it doesn't matter. What I've been told all along by the specialists that have helped us is that it's most important to look at what the needs are and get help for them. 
It's really mm-hmm. simple in a way. Mm-hmm. Her greatest needs really fell under the autism umbrella. And that was the most helpful diagnosis we got. So it sounds like the best thing to do really for any parent in any situation is to not let the potentials or hypotheticals or unknowns haunt you and paralyze you, but just take what you know and act on that and focus on the needs and act on finding ways to fill those. Thankfully, that's not something I've had to personally deal with, but we've had folks on here who have had some really, really scary diagnoses. Some They've been through some really tough stuff, how you could just feel like, I don't, I don't even know what the, what the next step should be. Right. So it is, it's challenging. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's been really hard and I have found so much help from other parents, which is why I was a support group queen. <laughs> I thought she had a metabolic disorder. I was in this fatty acid oxidation time, which she did not have, but parents were very helpful. And still we shared a lot of the same kind of issues. Like we shared you know, feeding issues, right? So even though we have a specific diagnosis right now, which apparently she's the only person in the world with, so it doesn't help me at all because there's nobody else to say, oh, this is what to expect. This is what, you know, will happen with this. Um, So yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, but there is no certainty. Certainty is an illusion. We're not going to talk about COVID. Yeah, certainly reminded us that we have no idea what tomorrow brings. But I feel encouraged by your story because you're even in the medical profession treating kiddos. And it took you decades to get some of those answers. And you're, I'm still, you know, that brought on new questions. And you also went down some of the wrong roads. So I'm hearing just if you're that parent, if you've knocked on a bunch of doors and it ended up being the wrong thing and you're just feeling like, do we really need to keep going at this? Um, I'm hearing, just keep, just keep the faith, keep staying at it, keep being that advocate for your kiddo. And speaking of, like, where did you find the energy to keep showing up and advocating for her and your other kids? This isn't particular to her. Advocates get exhausted. So how did you keep doing it? Right. So again, I keep saying support group, support group, support group. Because when you realize you're not the only one dealing with a challenge, mm-hmm. there's power in numbers. And it's also, you have to build that village. So I've really been the beneficiary of support from my community. For example, we had a program called the Friendship Circle, which is from a Jewish organization called Chabad. Have you heard of the Friendship Circle? I have not actually. Tell us more. So the Friendship Circle, and I was able to help start the program here with when we got, the way Chabad works is they send like rabbis and their wives and their families into communities and they start like a little nucleus community there and they had a program that pre-existed where they pair typical children up the children with special needs as like a buddy program then they have group activities together and it's phenomenal and they also have a program to support the mothers of children with special Mm -hmm. needs and i am still to this day going to these monthly programs where we make projects and we have food and it's amazing right? So the community support, the support of other parents is huge. And I'm an observant Jew. And for me, what was very important was getting religious support as well. Um, I'm actually considered modern Orthodox. It's a very broad rainbow of subcategories within the, even within Orthodox Judaism. Mm -hmm. But I have leaned very heavily on what are called the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi Jewish groups. I get their magazines. I read their stories. A lot of inspiration, very powerful. 
And I've, I've met people. I actually interviewed someone recently who herself has been through so much, and yet she is a powerful, positive person. So I've got a lot of inspiration. I'm just keep hearing from you. We need that support. We need that community. We cannot do this alone. So you, you got to get together with others. How would you advise someone who is struggling with maybe some of the stigmas that might surround their situation or diagnosis and feel uncomfortable talking about it or connecting with others? Because uh, I think that's very real too, especially maybe if they're they got a new diagnosis and they're not really sure how they're even personally processing it. And it feels like maybe a whole other leap or, or some risk in talking with others about that. It's interesting that you say that because I feel like stigma is so last decade. <laughs> I feel like we've made such progress. I mean, in my Orthodox Jewish world is really making wonderful progress. My community is where an organization called Yachad started, which is also an organization that integrates children with special needs with typical children. And my youngest son volunteers for that organization. Yeah. So it all is like the circle comes together, but this mm -hmm. is happening in our larger world as well. We have so much more, what's the word that I want? So much more support to be who you are. I mean, that's what I love about your podcast, right? It's cool to be a misfit. Neurodiversity is in now, right? Why would everybody be the same? What's normal? Normal is boring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fitting in is overrated. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think that our society is moving forward and no one should be ashamed to say my child is different. I think though, that was hard for me raising a child for the past 28 years is the change has been happening not fast enough, in my opinion, mm -hmm. because I had to seek out support of other parents because the typical parents didn't understand what I was going through. You were charting new territory and you were absolutely dealing with the stigmas and it's exciting to see where we are. And of course, we we have ways to go as with many things, but I love that you've been pioneering this and really practicing what you preach for some time. So let's switch this a little bit and start thinking about with your pediatrician hat on and then it, of course your mom hat on. Let's be real. Our wellness checks, the amount of time that I see my pediatrician, who we love, he's awesome. So no complaints there. But really, I see him for about 10 minutes a year per child, unless we've got illnesses or whatever, but that's really targeted towards you got strep or this or that, right? So how is a parent supposed to meaningfully advocate for their kids in the 10 minutes of a wellness visit with the pediatrician? So I think what's most important is for the parent to trust their gut and to stick to that no matter what. You make that pediatrician listen. If you think there's something going on with your child and it's not being properly addressed, do not let it go. I remember at one point I said to, I, don't, I think it was my, my, actually my general pediatrician at the time when my daughter was a baby and she was very young and she said, I think even though there were problems before she was born, whatever, we didn't know it was going to be as vast as this ended up being. And she looked at me, she said, oh, I think she's doing great. And I said, something is wrong with my child. Like, and she said, oh, that's it. And we had this huge workup and we found out this fatty acid thing that she didn't have. Because <laughs> she did such a big workup. She sent her urine on dry ice to this place where they could do this test that now they could do more easily, but whatever. So she listened to me. So you have to stick to your guns and trust your gut. I agree with you. There is just a sixth sense that we are all gifted with. And we know, you know, and so you, you just, you really got to keep talking about it until someone listens. And thankfully, 
you know, that person really got you quickly. Okay, this is serious. We need to go pursue this. How should families choose a pediatrician? Like, what is, is it just whoever's the most convenient? Should you find somebody who knows how to treat children or has extensive background treating children with their unique challenges? What would you say are the top things to, to consider when choosing a pediatrician? I think that they should be confident in their field, of course, but they don't have mm -hmm. to be specialized. They have to be someone who is respectful and listens to you. Mm -hmm. Because really, it's a collaboration. The old doctor knows best model is dead. And when I was growing up, I used to watch Dr. Welby. I'm very old. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll confess. I'll confess no, but I'm in conversations nowadays that make me feel old. So I get the, I, <laughs> I can know the feeling there's a lot of things I can't relate to nowadays. But tell right. us more about this show. Right. So he was the paternalistic doctor knows best. Doctor tells you. That's gone. And that was what was interesting about how I had my before and after my daughter life that I, I stayed home for a number of years. And when I went back, I was like this hybrid between mom and doctor, the other side of the desk, this side of the desk, right? Um, and the model had changed to more collaborative. And I think doctors who were working all along may have had a harder switch. I think a lot of the newer doctors are probably more adept, though you don't want to generalize because some physicians are just better at, you know, working together than others. It's a personality thing. Mm -hmm. As a pediatrician, how do you feel about Google and specifically Googling what you think your child might have? I have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> I figured the parent side feels one way and the pediatrician side feels another, but tell us more about that. Right. So on the one hand, I've had people come in with their diagnosis. I had a, a mother and a son come in and they had a relatively rare physical thing. And they're like, I Googled it. It's this. I'm like, oh, thank you. That was quick. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> done. That was easy. Uh, no, I like it when it's empowering. I'm a very big believer in knowledge is power and in empowering people to work with me. An empowered parent is my best partner. But when they just are roiled in anxiety and they're reading stuff and they don't know how to put it in perspective, then it's bad. So we need to have that internal moderator that says, you spending hours on the internet right now is not helping you be calmer, be more sane, be more confident, be more empowered. It's just making you feel more paralyzed or overwhelmed or anxious or haunted. So being honest with ourselves about which direction it's taking us is so important. And knowing, like we talked about earlier, uncertainty is just part of the deal, that we can't Google everything. We can't know everything. This is coming from somebody like, I need to know everything. So I am wired to reduce uncertainty and unknown. So trust me, like way easier said for me than done. But I think just reconciling ourselves with just not, not knowing at all. And again, taking it day by day, dealing with what we do know, so my last question for you is something we've referenced a couple of times this conversation, but you had said that being a mom to your daughter in particular, but all your kids and going on this journey has made you a better pediatrician. How so? So I am no longer speaking from a higher level, right? <laughs> I'm in the trenches. And I can say, for example, to a parent, you're worried about your child eating my child didn't eat for four years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand I'm not, I'm so anti-mom guilt. I'm so mm -hmm. just trying to help them help their child in a less guilt position. So 
that's one way. In other ways, I've just I've just lived through so many different things. I know it personally. I don't just know it from a medical standpoint. And by the way, the way a parent who lives through something knows about a particular issue is way different than a physician, right? A doctor will know how to make a diagnosis, you know, maybe I'll send to this therapist or this specialist. And a parent will know, right, something that the doctor may not know unless he's had a child with that or she. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope this podcast is to families and parents out there because it's our stories, right? It's we're not talking medical diagnoses or medical advice and stuff here. It, we're just, ta- we're sharing like, Hey, here's the trenches perspective. You know, here's what it might look like for you. It, it's, it's what it looked like for us. And here's what we learned and here's what to watch out for. And you're not alone. And right. so I do hope that people feel encouragement by coming into mothers of misfits and hearing these stories and listening and feeling empowered. But as much as we want them to keep coming back to Mothers of Misfits, they might really be interested in your podcast too. So can you tell us where they can find out about that and listen in? Sure. Thank you. So it's Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association or J-O-W-M-A. It's found on most major podcast platforms. Sorry, we're not on YouTube anymore. (laughs) Old ones are, but not the new ones. And our website is Joma, J-O-W-M-A dot O-R-G but the podcast is on most podcast platforms. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your wisdom with the mom community. And I just really appreciate both sides of your perspective here. I know I've learned a lot today, Elisa. Thank you so much. And thank you for the podcast. I love it. I'm binging on it right now. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.